Welcome to A Special Place in Hell, the podcast where an aging Gen X author and a self-hating millennial activist come together once a week, or maybe more often occasionally, to thoroughly and conclusively solve our culture war problems with their our, that would be our combined wit, wisdom, and most importantly, lived experiences. I am Megan Daum, the aging Gen X author. I'm with Sarah Hader, self-hating, and you're, even your name is Hader. You're <laughs> <Yeah>. a hater. <laughs> Hi, Megan. Um, nice to hear your voice, Sarah. So this is our second episode. Uh, I think, you know, it's been less than a week since we posted the first one. Uh, this is our new podcast, mm -hmm. and um, I think it went pretty well last time. Mm -hmm. We got um, pretty, pretty enthusiastic feedback. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I was I was really happy with the response. People seemed excited, and that's that's what I was hoping. I was hoping they would be excited. Not a lot of people commented on how great our artwork is. Yeah, our artwork, um, our art artwork is excellent. Um, yeah, I think it's excellent. actually a few people did. Actually, I saw oh, a few they? people on Twitter did. Yeah. Oh, okay, I missed um, that. Yeah, our artwork is excellent. It was done by uh, Scott Schaefer, who does a lot of design work. For me, and um, yeah, I guess, um, you know, we should say a few things. We're still looking for music for the show. Uh, you know, this is a work in progress, so we don't yet have any theme music, but we are working on that. Um, there, you know, there, there was a bumper at the end uh, of the last episode, but that was like a little joke. Uh, that was a little, little Steely Dan humor I wanted to throw in there. Little Bazelon Sisters joke for those who got it. Um, what else do we want to say? How often are we going to post this show? And like, are we going to try to do it on the same day every week? How are we going to handle that? Yeah, we'll we'll try our best. Is I think the what 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 we can say there for now. Yeah, I think people like knowing when it's going to come. But then on the other hand, we want to be timely, so it's hard yeah, to know how to handle yeah. that. So maybe occasionally a little, occasionally a little sooner, but. But usually on one day a week, and we're not 100% sure. <laughs> not sure. That, yeah, so the, unspe yeah, yeah, the unspeakable, um, it drops on Sunday evenings usually. So like the unspeakable is a Monday show. So I don't know if we would want to have this one be a Monday show as well. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. We also had somebody comment slash complain about our little slogan, two girls, one pod. She said, instead of saying girls, we should say women we're women yeah i mean that, that kind of i feel like that ruins the joke a it ruins the joke bit. and this person um, did get the joke like i don't okay. think we, I, it's i'm not a big believer in explaining jokes so we shouldn't explain two girls one pot like you either get it or you don't yeah but i yeah i said you know it's, it's interesting because i said um to the person i said you know I, it doesn't go with the with the meter of the joke you know and we actually had two women one pot at one point and it just didn't sound as good um, and she said, well, I understand that, but I really, I, I feel that we fought hard as women and we should be called women and to be called girls is diminishing. And, you know, I actually don't feel that way. I, I love saying girl and thinking yeah. of myself as a girl. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I um, do I? I don't know. I think I've started to say, I've started to say woman um, hmm. after the end of my 20s I started to say woman and I think it's because so me like I, I I enjoy feeling very grown up um and I I feel like I've kind of a serious personality 
So I like the gravitas that women, woman gives me. Um, But yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind girls. I don't mind. I I call my girlfriends girls. So now that's interesting. And And you call your female friends, your girlfriends. Which yeah, yeah, great. yeah. That's, Woman for right. I mean, I just I say, never do that, but so I always just say my friend. But that's I think this is well, an interesting yes. distinction. So yes, and and sometimes it's girlfriends. Sometimes it's it's like hey girls, what's up? You know, or hey girl. Yeah, <laughs> that. So I I say that, and that's not. I just think that we think too much about these little distinctions, and they're kind of a waste of our 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 time and and breath and effort right yeah and you know it's funny because I, I you know when back when back when the pronoun debate had to do with whether or not you should say he or she when you were you know in, in a sentence like when you're referring to a group of people like you know whatever he or she would like to do and you know in the past they would just say he like the he pronoun would would speak for everybody for the group and I always thought it was clumsy to say he or she and so I would use he and my rationale was that, like, if <laughs> I'm not so insecure with myself and my being that, like, the the lack of a gender-specific pronoun would completely throw me off my game. Like, I, I really don't care. Like, I feel like if you – I was saying this back, you know, like, like in the 80s and the 90s. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're – if you – if you're if, – if the legitimacy of your existence uh, lives or dies by, uh, you know, a, a he or she pronoun in a sentence – uh, then you've you've got bigger problems than just grammar. Yeah, and I think this is just part of maybe my bigger gripe with larger gripe, whatever, um, with with modern feminism, which focuses a lot on language, on you know these these social habits that we have, you know, maybe maybe yeah. left over from norms. from a different time, norms. right? Yeah, these norms and. You know, and and problematizing them, and sometimes you kind of get where they're coming from, and it makes sense. But it also, at the, at the same time, you think, can we just? We don't have to. We I don't just have feel like to. we yeah, have there's other things problems. to do. Like <laughs> yeah. right, exactly. Yeah. It's it's just um, be a uh, you know woman up and uh, get on with get on with your business. But I think yeah. that's that sort of happened with. I mean, that happens with all movements when you know the initial you know the big battle is won. You know the hard. The, the, the real struggle, um, you know, once you get over that bit, then I think the interesting people leave and they join the front lines of another battle. And the people who enjoy fighting about this minutia and, you know, uh, these these tiny little like skirmishes um, yeah. stick around. And I think that's kind of what's happened to feminism. I mean, it, it, it feels to me that all of mainstream feminism should be talking about what's going on with the gender debate. Um, mm. I mean, you know, I, I, cause it feels to me, it's very, very important um, to women's rights to, un- to have this understanding of what, you know, what is a woman. Um, and, and you mean not the gender wage gap? We, we can move on. <laughs> right. I mean, Sarah, come on. <laughs> I don't get paid as much as a lot of men. Or women. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's true. So and I know I blame it on my gender. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's always the case, right? It's like people, you know, when the war is is won, people end up fighting over the scraps. It's very, yeah. very co- common scenario. But um, yeah, I just thought anyway, so we're going to we're going to uh, retain two girls, one pod. 
uh, for now. And I also mm-hmm. like being called chick. I, I really like that. You know, when I was chick. a LA Times columnist um, I, in, on, on the opinion page, I mean, I got that job because they were looking for a female columnist. Uh, so I, that's, you know, they were specifically looking for that. So I was, you know, I was like the chick columnist on the opinion page. So that's often how I, how I. has gone um, out of style. I like I chick think... though. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, whatever. I don't think, yeah. It'll be back. Probably. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Um, okay. Well, well, we got that out of the way. Um, so we're going to talk about, uh, we're, we're recording this on Saturday night. Uh, neither of us have plans apparently it's Saturday evening. Uh, so we're going to, you know, obviously the big news is, uh, abortion Supreme court overruled Roe v. Wade yesterday. Um, so we're going to talk a lot about that, but first, um, I was going to say, uh, last night I went to, um, I went to the Bill Maher studio, uh, to watch the real time taping with, uh, our friend Katie Herzog who made her real time debut and she did fantastically. It was, it was wonderful. She was on with Andrew Sullivan and, uh, they talked about this subject. They were going to, they were on for, you know, it's, it's gay pride month and they were, they were the gay, <laughs> they were the gay guests, uh, to talk about gay pride. And as Katie said, it's probably not the, uh, the type of gay, gay guests that a lot of people were expecting. Um, so I, they were probably supposed to talk about the gender stuff more, um, exclusively, but obviously the abortion news uh, eclipsed that. So there was a lot of discussion about that. And there was also uh, Christine Emba was the the guest in the first segment. And she's a Washington Post columnist who has a book called Rethinking Sex, which actually talks about a lot of the stuff that you and I have talked about and, and will talk about just, you know, no, shifting norms and expectations that millennials and Gen Zers have around sex that, you know, come from pornography and all kinds of nefarious sources so um but yeah it was fun it was fun to so so i i think that what people want to want to know more about is like what's the experience the the backstage experience how much so how much did you get to see were you in the audience no i was actually sitting outside so what (laughs) we we had to get a covid test to uh go into the facility at all Mm. and uh they 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 had us get a the opportunity to get a test like a few days before, but my results didn't come back in time. So I had to go. Yeah. I I drove to the studio and then I had to, I was taken um, by golf cart to a a bungalow on the, on the lot and they had a COVID testing site there. And so I got a, a a rapid test, a 15 minute test. And then, then when I was cleared, I was driven by the golf cart to the uh, state soundstage area um, but they have a patio viewing area. I got there too. I wasn't in the audience, uh, but I was sitting, they have a sort of like area where they, um, I guess a lot of the crew and just friends of the show and friends of the guests can kind of hang out, um, under a little, in a little tent area. Uh, and there's, there's a bar and you can, you can watch the show on a, on a, on a screen outside. So it was very, Cali- food, yeah, it was a yeah. very California experience. There was not food. Well, there's um, no food. Oh, because no, of COVID. It's okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, but it was, um, yeah. So I watched out there and um, yeah, Katie did great. I mean, Andrew Sullivan is, uh, he's, he takes up a lot of space, you know? Mm-hmm. So she really held her own with him and she did, she made some great points and I thought it went great. When I was on Bill Maher, it, Andrew Sullivan was, Sullivan was also there. With he you? Also oh my him. gosh. Yeah. 
Wow. Um, and it just became about race and nobody look it up. Cause I didn't, I don't feel like I did a great job. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he, he is a pro and he knows what he's doing and he knows how to get the audience riled up. And he also knows how to like interject kind of forcefully into the conversation, which I have a very hard time with, which is why it was Cause of the patriarchy. That's why I, I don't know what it is, but I, okay. First of all, I was shaking like a leaf, right? Like even just they, you know, I remember they, called my name or whatever and I wa- I walked over um and my hands were shaking so much cuz I just couldn't I just can't stand the 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 public aspect of it um I had to like put my hands underneath the table cuz I didn't want people to see how how nervous I was um and I don't even even remember the details of the studio or anything because the whole time I was just so nervous yeah oh, um it's such a hard show it's so it's like getting a current it, it it's like taking a current events test in front of the whole world. Right. It's really brutal. Yeah. And then you're with you're on a panel with people who are like perfect they do they do this all the time. Yeah. Week after week they show up on these shows and they yell at each other. And it it's just not my style. It's not something, you know, I know how to do very well. Um so it was a lot um pretty painful pretty painful but they were all very nice the team was very nice um yeah they're very nice yeah i think they know that they're torturing people a little bit they're uh, they're putting them through a terrible experience (laughs) that you're that you killed yourself (laughs) to have yeah you're really excited to have this experience but everything else about it is really nice they make they let you stay at this hotel that's just it's the best hotel i've ever stayed in or ever will stay in like definitely um so that that was nice i guess um I, again, I couldn't enjoy any of it because I was so stressed out. But. Yeah. Well, you know, so um, right before the pandemic, Katie and I and Emily Yaffe were supposed to go on and talk about like woke stuff. And it was literally <laughs> they had scheduled us. It was the week in March where everything was shutting down and they were talking to us and, you know, we were and I was like, okay, this is good because this way I'm among friends. Like I don't have to do it. This is not going to be like a current events panel. We're going to be talking about, you know, similar things. And so I was like, okay. And you know, we were like getting the, they were getting the plane tickets and making the travel reservations. In the meantime, like everything is shutting down, shutting down. And Katie's like, um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to leave the state. Like, I'm not sure. (laughs) And then, but they're like, no, 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 it's going to be fine. And then Emily and I were like, um, I'm not sure it's a great look to, um, go on and just, complain about woke stuff when people are yeah, dropping yeah. dead <laughs> like the world is screeching oh, that would have been halt. such a great panel <laughs> that would have been an awesome <laughs> panel I mean it would have been but I, you know and so I, we actually ended up sort of demurring and I mean I'm yeah it so it would have gotten canceled anyway but we kind of like uh canceled ourselves uh so yeah that's a little, little tidbit there um but yeah it's uh it's a tough show but it's really the only place if you're an author it's really kind of the only thing you can book especially if you're not like on narrative I guess you know mm, you can get mm. on the on the night you know the late night shows if you're doing exactly what they're looking mm-hmm, for but mm-hmm. yeah I think it's the only place for people like us really like <laughs> yes. it's like our, it's our safe space except it's, it's our safe space <laughs> most terrifying <laughs> hellscape um yep yeah yep, yep, but yep. i guess that's uh i guess that's appropriate uh anyway so yeah that was my uh that's what i did uh yesterday and um yeah 
that was that was that they can i did nothing i stayed in yeah but you got a lot to do all the time yeah i know yeah okay yeah you've got you've got responsibilities yeah i'm a adult i'm an adult (laughs) um so speaking of that so speaking of uh, adult responsibilities we're gonna talk about um abortion because what's the segue here if you if you're not responsible you have to get one that is really good. That's I'm good. Yeah, gonna, that's... We're going to stay with that. Okay. All right. That's up. <laughs> Moving along. Covered that. Um, okay. So what did you think about the news? I mean, nobody was surprised, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was still a feeling of, I, I don't want to call it shock because, again, I I wasn't surprised. I don't think anyone was surprised. It felt inevitable. Um, at the same time, you sort of have this feeling of uh, general... Uh, I don't know. I guess I was feeling unsettled and Mm. I I'm still feeling a little unsettled, you know, in in times like this, when something's changed (laughs) and it feels big and maybe it's not big in the, in the long run, but it, it feels that way. And I think we're, we're all sort of just um, trying to figure out, okay, well, what happens now? Um, Yeah. And you know, I had an interview on The Unspeakable last month when, when the leak happened around this uh, with Frances Kissling, who is a legendary abortion rights activist. She's like a fascinating person. She's in her late 70s, I think, now. And she she was the president of Catholics for Choice, mm. um, but, you know, back in the day. And she was actually working in abortion clinics before Roe v. Wade was passed. So she oh. was working, yeah, like in before 1973 maybe just right around that time but before roe was passed abortion was legal in a few states including new york so she worked in an abortion clinic in new york city um and you know she says all along she says roe was you know as as many people know it was very shaky legislation to begin with um sandra day o'connor had said it's on a collision course with itself like this could have been this was anticipated by people who were paying attention, but, you know, she says we have to just, we have to think about what we have to work with. Like the fact is it's legal in half the States. Mm -hmm. And so instead of thinking about legislation, we need to think about access. Like Mm -hmm. how do we make it available and accessible to, to people in red States? Let's get them to blue States. Like let's Mm -hmm. start thinking about it that way. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I, I, and this is just a, you know, my intuition and kind of a flimsily justified prediction, but, but I, I, I do think that in the long, long run, um, that the overturning of Roe might actually prove better for the pro-choice perspective. What do you think about that? Well, say more about that. Yeah. So I, I mean, so it's not so much that there's any one thing, but. It's a variety of different things that I think come together to have a have a push in mostly one direction, and that is in uh, in in the pro choice direction. So th- I think there's there's biases that we we all sort of uh, struggle with, and I've, I'm going to be writing about this um, on my Substack. 
hold that thought. Um, I think I'll publish it today, maybe tomorrow, or I guess whenever people hearing this, it probably will already be published. But I think that there's, um, you know, the, the, the status quo bias where we like things to more or less stay the same and loss aversion bias that are both kind of running in this case in favor of pro-choice because Roe was where we came from. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you start with the background of, of having something and then Republican legislators are in the, play, in the position of taking it away. So there's, there, it's already starting from this, this kind of uneven background in position of of weakness Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. where even conservatives i think like to keep things uh as they are i was actually listening to the commentary podcast which is um i guess you could call them neocons um but yeah uh, they're i i think that they're very interesting and that they give me insight into a perspective i don't often understand but um john podhoritz was he began it with saying you know i <laughs> i don't know how i feel about this because he mm-hmm. i mean he has a bias as a especially as a conservative that he just likes things to stay um you know on, on a familiar ground um so there's there's that um and i also think that there's we're going to see people facing the consequences of their own politics, which will strike pro-lifers uneven, unevenly because, uh, you know, on the one hand, you can't be a hypocrite anymore. You can't be somebody who says I'm pro-life. And then when your daughter gets mm-hmm. uh, pregnant, you sneak her off to the Planned Parenthood because and it, now you've, you've voted to take that away in your state. So, I mean, it, of course, for rich people, it will always be accessible, but for middle class people, lower class people, it will be much harder to to now be basically a, a pro-life hypocrite. Right. Um, so I think that that will also force people to vote in the way that they actually want to live, you know, like revealed preferences kind of a thing versus how they believe they would like to live mm-hmm. and, you know, how mm-hmm. their how their principles kind of um, push them. But Roe took that responsibility of really thinking about it away from them. Now, you, you, you know, they could just stand up and say, you know, be champions of uh, the rights of the unborn. Um, and it's, I think it's just easier to 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 rage against a freedom that you never really chose, you know, pretending that you never wanted it, you never needed it. Um, but now uh, they'll have to make that choice. Um, and they'll have to look at their own daughters and sisters and have to make a certain choice. So all of that, that I think, also... Uh, is a bias in favor of, you know, over time pushing people towards a more moderate stance on abortion. People who were, you know, who might be at, at right now more staunchly pro-life. Um, yeah, and I think yeah, that's a yeah. great. Those are great points. Yeah, I think uh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's there there's a lot there. But there there I could just go on about it for a while, but I I think there's a there there are many many reasons that. In the long run, we're going to see a shift uh, towards acceptance of of abortion. Yeah, I mean the the problem is that there are going to be there's going to be a cohort of people who are caught in the crosshairs. There mm-hmm. are going to be a bunch of people who cannot get abortions mm-hmm. over the next whatever months, mm-hmm. years, however long it is, and that's going to have serious consequences. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep, it, it will. And but that's even that is something in favor of what will eventually become, uh, you know, what will eventually become the pile of evidence for the pro-choice perspective. We will start to see in the coming years um, what happens when states enact very, very restrictive um, uh, abortion, abortion laws. You know, we'll, we'll hear about the 15 year old girl who, 
who you know tries to give herself an abortion and dies or whatever like i mean there 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 be cases like this they're going to come to light they're going to have an emotional impact yeah. on people um and i think we'll start to see the kind of general movement towards acceptance that we were seeing actually prior to roe uh, but it was just happening a lot more gradually. And I think that that process is going to start back up again. Yeah. So I, it, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it'll be accelerated. I mean, it's interesting, too, because I don't know if it's the majority of early term abortions, but some significant percentage, they're not surgical anymore. I mean, it's using it's using pills. It's using over the counter. I never can pronounce this word right. A- Anti-abortion abortion patients. How do you say that word? <laughs> that, isn't good. that was perfect. There, there, yes. Abortion patients. It's the abortion. It's the smushmorshman. Smush, <laughs> uh, uh, procedure. Okay. So no, but I mean, seriously, I, I don't know. I, I, my understanding is that, um, a lot of the time this is, this can be done with, uh, prescription and, pills that you just you just take if you if you're if you know that you're pregnant soon enough and you can get access to this um it's not yeah. exactly plan b it's are you 486 kind of thing mm-hmm. um and it can be gotten through the mail if, even if it's illegal in your state you can obtain it other ways and there's all sorts of talk about well it can be illegal to send it through the mail there's going to be you know packages intercepted whatever there are there are endless scenarios but, um, you know, it's it's not like we're going to return to the coat hanger era. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not. And Francis Kissling was saying this uh, on The Unspeakable. You know, it's it's definitely bad, but it's not catastrophic in the way that I think some people are imagining. I don't think mm-hmm. we're going to have, you know, lots and lots of women bleeding on tables in, mm-hmm. in backroom situations. It's going to mm-hmm. the contours of it are going to be different. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, this is the the it's. The, the the Republicans have had their bluff called, right? So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it will be really telling to see how they how they handle it. I mean, I don't, Sarah, do you know, like, what actually, what is the polling? I mean, if, if 70% of Americans, if that's the statistic, it might be even more, support legal abortion. That's nationwide, though. So that's, like, disproportionately in, in blue states. Like, in, in a state, in a, in a red state, like Alabama or something, do we know, do most people, like, not support legal abortion? Like, most, I, everybody? I think it, ev- everyone supports it to some degree, but the degree shift can, can shift dramatically depending on red state and blue state. I, I was reading polls about, like, opinion polls um, that compared the differences of... Republic, just Republicans and Democrats in when they say they they are pro and when they say they're pro, pro-life or pro-choice what do they what do they really mean and and in most cases um almost everyone I mean it, 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 that that might even be too broad but but the vast majority of Americans think that abortion should be legal in some extreme yeah. circumstances so medical um, threatening the life of the mother, um, uh, f- a severe fetal deformity. Um, much of America is okay with that, even if they're uh, red state Americans. Yeah. Um, so I, I think what we'll what we'll find is that we'll get to an equilibrium. We'll get to a, a place where even in red states, you don't see the kinds of extremely harsh measures that I think Republicans could get away with 
when you know it was kind of a it was kind of a wish wishful thinking kind of a thing you know this is what mm-hmm. we do if we had power bleh, you know and right. then and then now you have it um and you're going to see what happens when your when your constituents are are hurt due to these um due to these laws but i think it's interesting what uh you, you know the, the discourse in general about it is is pretty interesting to me i saw a lot of people very mad at uh, what Virginia Governor Youngkin um, uh, uh, initially commented, um, and he said something about uh, he would want to restrict it to 15 weeks, um, with some exceptions uh, when medical circumstances or the health of the mother called for it, but mostly to 15 weeks. And there were all these tweets about how he's an extremist, you know, American <laughs> Taliban, all this stuff. And, oh, I, and I was like, yeah. 15 weeks is actually that is you know to me and i'm pro-choice to me it's that's reasonable i don't think that well yeah i mean it's also i mean 15 weeks that's like more than that's like four months almost right like that's right a lot and and that's pretty on that's pretty um on a par with like what is in much of europe i mean i think you know some European countries, it's less than that. I mean, everybody sort of romanticizes, uh, you know, Europe and granted they do have better, you know, access to healthcare, but yeah, I just, I think that Roe versus Wade, it, there was a real almost romance around it. I think for a lot of liberals, especially feminists, it was just, there was, it was, it was sacrosanct. Mm. You could not mess with it. Roe, it was like so personal and there's so, so many emotions around it that I think it's really hard for people to untangle like what they feel as feminists and what they feel about their own freedom from Roe. Like Roe does not necessarily equal your ability to control your life. Like Mm. there, there are a lot of other things you can, and I, you know, you can, there's, there's many mechanisms in place. And so I'm not diminishing it. I do, I do think people are feeling what they're feeling, but there's a lot of catastrophizing on social media, which there always is. So, you know, it, it doesn't take something like this to, to set people off, but you know, we're, we're not going into the handmaid's tale. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that the conversation can be, you know, improved by talking about other things that I think are important to everyone. Let's talk about access to contraceptives. Um, let's talk about, uh, you know, educating some of the younger people. Cause I hear a lot about, well, I was, you know, I was 16 and I fell in love and then, and then we had sex and then I got pregnant. Um, those sorts of stories are fairly common to but even to, not with, even with falling in love. I've heard them without the falling in love part. So right. your, your stories are nicer. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to feel about it because I was a very severe 16 year old, you know, I was religious and I was judging everyone, um, with I mean I had just started to leave religion actually at that time but I was still I still had that hangover of being very religious and and I remember one time I I went to a party and there was a lot of very sexual dancing and um and like even maybe people were starting to skinny dip or something or going in the underwear and going in the pool or something and and this was like sophomore year of high school and I called my dad I was like dad pick me up <laughs> this mm-hmm. is <laughs> bad things are happening here i don't want to be a part of it um and i remember talking to my friends about it and just saying you know i don't I, I i didn't feel like i was ready i wasn't we we aren't ready we're not mature enough for this uh so that's who i was as a teenager so i have a very hard time putting myself 
into the shoes of a of a young person who falls in love and and yeah and, or or know. i mean or just hooks up i think they just don't they up. don't fall in love anymore because that's okay. they're not allowed to it's like a, the hookup but i mean it's see I, my understanding is that most teenage girls are on birth control they're on the pill um i mean this may be in certain demographics but certainly the ones i'm familiar with like most of my friends who have teenage daughters they're all on the pill like liberals, they got on so the pill. liberals will give their teenage right. girls birth control right. i mean That's texas true. it's not that common okay um, so i mean and you're from texas so mm-hmm. so like do you have friends there do you as a texan do you have like certain feelings about this yeah i mean i it's it's tough because I, I actually grew up in the 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 specific little town that I, I grew up in in, in Texas um, was very they were very religious um, evangelical uh, religious which is just it's a it's a very specific yeah. um, you know kind of belief system um, uh, and and I actually thought that this is this is Christianity <laughs> um, uh, and I didn't know until I got older that that. There's oh, like you've never about. met a Catholic or anything? Well, I, I know I knew Catholics, but I just, <laughs> um, I, I, I just thought evangelicals were the main kind of Christian, you know. Um, and then right. there were then there were Catholics, but I, I, I didn't know about just regular wasps, I guess. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. more mild liberal humanist wasps. I wasn't that exposed to that that breed of 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 Protestant. Um, so I, I. The girls I knew in school, um, they many of them were not on birth control because their parents were not okay with premarital sex or sex at their age at all. Um, so there were condoms, basically. They had access to condoms, and that's how um, that's how they were getting around uh, the the restrictions there. Um, I do remember my sex ed class, which is. Um, I almost don't know how to describe it. Um, did you have sex ed? No, I'm so old. I'm so yeah, old. We didn't. That was that. before the sex ed. <laughs> no, we did. Yeah, okay. yeah. Of course. Yes, yes. And it was all put the. It was put the. Um, you know, put a condom on a banana kind of thing. Oh yeah, we didn't have that. So that it was just it was Texas, right? So it was. Oh, you didn't. So, oh, you didn't even get that far. It was. It was so weird. It was so weird. We didn't. Um, the the I remember the woman. Um. Uh, she she sort of was trying very hard to give us the impression that condoms don't work and only abstinence works. Oh, well, they definitely were not. I mean, they were not 100 percent. They were like 80 percent, which was not enough. Well, well, she she was saying she was saying crazier things, but not directly saying them, just implying them very heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember she she get, she she showed a slide of what she called you know the cell of a condom and then um and then and it was this this, like large circle or whatever and then she drew a little dot on it and she said well that is the size of a sperm cell so do you think that a condom can stop (laughs) what so she didn't she didn't say they don't work right she didn't say anything like that she just had this visual like representation and the conclusion that we were supposed to draw from it was that condoms don't work. Right. Um, <laughs> so you just shouldn't use them. Wait, so is, this is public school. <laughs> this was public school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So uh, an actual sperm is, could just, it's like mesh. So the condom was effectively like a mesh. But, she, but again, she didn't say, yeah, yeah, yeah. she didn't say any of that. The she just implied all... it very, mm-hmm. she applied yeah. it very heavily 
And I wonder, I mean, how much of, you know, like, uh, you know, federal like mandates about certain things, like how they how they actually trickle down to to local communities that are very intent on, you know, at best kind of this malicious um, compliance, <laughs> which is kind of I feel like what happened there, because we came out of it thinking, well, <laughs> guess condoms don't work. <laughs> and did, and I mean, were a lot of people having sex? Like as far as you I mean, know. I I wouldn't have known really. I wasn't in that crowd. I was with the I was with the debate team. Nobody oh, the was debate team sex. is the the debate team was like the loosest. Are you kidding? No, oh. not not our oh. debate team. Not, debate team mm. is they're all messing around with the forensics <laughs> team. It's a uh, yeah. Uh, no, you know it. Actually, the most promiscuous group I think un- unlikely, but but actually was was the band, the marching band. Oh, that's band. not I unlikely. Just, they, were, they were just totally, but like you, they weren't popular, right? So no, it was no, weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were no, totally getting it on all the time. Yeah, them and actually drama was was oh drama yeah. people were were getting it on. They were just they're very they didn't have like an understanding of boundaries. They were always touching each other. It was um I guess that's part of like <laughs> yeah, it was like the sort of proto <laughs> that's part of what, what personality. You do, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, God. I mean, I was so afraid of getting pregnant. I I thought it was the worst thing that could ever happen to you, <laughs> like <laughs> the worst. Uh, like so, yeah. And but you know, in, in our in our time too. So by the time I was in college, everything was about AIDS. You know, so I mm. I graduated high school in '88. So right around then, the AIDS crisis was. You know, mounting and it was the, the public health messaging was that this was going to affect everybody that this wasn't just a gay disease um you know the public messaging had to be that way in order to get you know people like ronald reagan to take it seriously um so they oh yeah they just scared the shit out of us uh you know that anybody if you had sex without a condom ever once you would you would have full-blown aids you know <laughs> the next week so there was a lot of that too. Yeah, I mean, the, the kind of the, the puritanical nature of sexual discussion is it's so it's it it never goes away. It just changes, you know. And so now it's it's consent, you know. Mm. There's there's always a reason to be afraid mm-hmm. of of having sex. Um, but I mean, I want to like with the abortion thing. I I just I keep asking myself to so these evangelicals that you grew up with. I I understand. I understand the argument against it. I understand the pro-life argument. If you think that abortion is murder, then yes, you should be opposed to abortion. That makes sense intellectually. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. But like, where do they think all these babies are going to go? Like, I, I sometimes feel like they have this fantasy that all these people will, will get married and sort of step up and form nuclear families and or that people will start adopting babies en masse and will have this sort of like glorious family oriented society. Yeah. And I think it, it just comes there, there's there's a lot of fantasy involved in that kind of very staunch pro-life. And I, I, I too, I, I agree that I also I get it. I, I get it. I think and I actually do think that there is a there's there's an ethical dilemma there. Um, I wouldn't say that it's a you know a fetus is a life in the same way a born baby is a life and in the same way an adult human is a life. But I I I do think that there's it, it's not a clump of cells and I wouldn't 
you know, relegated to, to that. I think there's something else there. Um, so the shout my abortion people really kind of pissed me off and, and, and honestly disgust me. I I don't Uh, know that I, I always said, you know, why don't you take it a step further and have shout your STD? Yeah. That, that never took off. Yeah. I shout your sexually transmitted disease. It's gross. And it's counting on the fact that it's going to shock people and offend people. And there's a really, there's just a lack of compassion for what the other person really believes is true about the world. And these people, they really think you're killing a baby. And, and of course they're hurt and outraged and, and devastated, um, you know, in light of what, what they perceive to be, you know, the, the reality and, may, and maybe they're more right than, than we're right. I actually, you know, I'm, I'm open to the discussion of, you know, keeping, and we're, we're going to understand more and more about how a fetus develops and, and the pain thresholds and all these things. And I think we'll be able to weigh these things a little bit better as we understand this a little more. But in the meantime, there's this gray area that we all have to operate within and do our best to find a balance um but what what does frustrate me with the with the pro-life people is that you know the the a total ban on 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 abortion would as you said produce these insane outcomes that we you know we as a society could not absorb yeah all those unwanted babies and we've never absorbed them you know it, it human history has been a history of of infanticide when 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 a woman had a baby that they the family couldn't afford or want and it's not even just uh historical you know societies there are societies today um where abortion is not accessible readily accessible and women kill their children um and and it's a horrible thing of course it's a horrible thing so let's let's talk about all the ways that we can we can not eat, we, we can get to a point where we don't even have to have this discussion you know all the women that that can get uh, that need contraceptives want contraceptives can get them that there is as, as effective as possible um and and then we can we can have a more sane conversation but i find that with the the very religious pro-life group which is not the same thing as pro-lifers in general but the the very religious pro-lifers they also have like and in addition premarital sex should have consequences and in addition you know like yeah. and in addition married life is great and we and it's actually good that people will get married at 16 because that, that's going to lead to a more wholesome uh you know moral <laughs> life and it, you know and th- then i feel like well i don't even want to have a conversation with you because we're so far apart in terms of how what we what we think is a good life and you know uh what we want to see happen in in society and i also think that if you grow up in modern america you know you grow up in in this world you're growing up in a very liberal very you know in in a society that has that has benefited powerfully from these very liberal norms of you know uh of 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 all kinds of behavior especially sexual behavior you know yeah. so it, when you're growing up in the society you say well you know what it was better in the you know in the 1900s and 1950s yeah. whatever you don't know what you're talking about you know to me that's equivalent to to somebody who grew up in brooklyn you know in greenwich connecticut or whatever i don't know how to say that is that how you say that yeah um, yeah greenwich it, it, that's like somebody <laughs> who grew up there and were you gonna and, say greenwich Maybe. Oh yeah, you could. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. Say I always that. wanted to write a, a YA <laughs> novel set in Greenwich, Connecticut, about about Mean Girls, and call it Greenwich Mean Time. Oh, 
<laughs> one of my titles I keep keep in my pocket that I'll, um, I'll never write. Sorry. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So Greenwich, um, it, and it's like somebody who grew up in Greenwich, who now has adopted all these socialist policies and looks at you know uh, a a, so, uh, a a world in which we have pure socialism and yeah. this is this this is this ideal. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know? No. In- I, yes. I, I had this exact thought actually today. So the the pro life evangelicals especially they well i guess they 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 romanticize family life and almost fetishize it in in the same way that the people on the far left romanticize this kind of like you know weird this kind of socialist utopian Mm -hmm. where the Mm -hmm. nuclear family is obviated Mm -hmm. and it's it's like these extremes it's this like lack of reality on, on both sides they're actually very similar kinds of um fantasies yeah, about and it, they, they deny the reality of of human nature and yeah. many other things and and our history and our past and our you know present i mean they don't they don't it's 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 ultimately um, a very self-serving politics that exists just to make you feel better about the present um, and about where you stand in relation to your society, but not not a politics that actually should be implemented in any real sense. And I don't even know if they think about it in that way. But there's an interesting movement of trad cons, you know, like traditional conservatives yeah. that are young people. You know, they're, they're oh, I know. They're, are they like pioneer fantasies? Are these sort of like Little House on the Prairie? Cottage core. Yeah. I mean, they have all these. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a workout. Cottage core, <laughs> like I you know, I graduated from bar method, and I'm doing cottage core now. Yeah, I I wish I didn't know so much about this, but I'm very like it's it's very intriguing to me. Um, and I again, a part of me always gets it. You know, a part of me is just like, I w- you know, I wish this was this was real, and you know, we'd all be like making butter or whatever. Yeah, I, I wish um, that we had no uh, anesthesia. I wish we could go back to that. <laughs> I wish so much of it was real. I I wish we had no like. You know, eyeglasses. I, I, if I lived in that time, I mean, and I was a huge Little House of the Prairie fan growing up. Believe me, I, I ran around in sunbonnets. Okay, in, you know, but I would be blind. I would be Mary. I would be Mary Ingalls. I would be blind, and um, probably, you know, long dead from. Wait, why from would you be? Why would you be? Blind? Because I have very bad eyesight. Sorry. Yeah, that was. I didn't give that oh, any okay. context. No, I mean, I wear. You know, I have contact lenses. Like, I just, I think of all so many people must who just, you know, must have just died or or perished or lived horrible lives where they barely did anything because we lacked medical uh, technology and and any number of things. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah, interrupt, yeah, but. yeah, yeah. So they have. Um, it's just, it's very, it's, it's intriguing to me in that it's so far removed from their reality. So I mean, it's, it's, of course, it's. It's, it's valid to want anything, you know, and to fantasize about it, whatever. You can be a furry and you can, you know, you have this lifestyle. You want to be, <laughs> you what, be like a that's... trad furry. Can you be a trad furry? I, you know, I, I doubt it. So maybe you're like, you get caught in a trap, <laughs> like a furry or traps you. It would be like a reenactment of pioneer time, but some people play the animals. Okay. Yeah. They get yeah. skinned and get fur yeah, and used for and there's somebody's and... hat. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I like that. Um, yeah, so it it yeah, there's just online really kind of young people right wing space that's that's that intrigues me. Um, and I what I find interesting about them is that they have this, you know, and what I feel is you know quote unquote valid um, is that they they are alienated by some aspects of 
of modern living. And that I can understand. And that I think there's a, there's a lot to that that we can discuss maybe at another time on, on, on this podcast. Um, but... <laughs> But they have this this understanding of the way the world should work. Um, these politics surrounding this aesthetic that they are drawn to, and this sense of belonging and and community and and quaint sundresses or whatever that they're that they <laughs> yeah that, that they're it's drawn very to. Instagram. I mean, it's very Instagrammable. <laughs> yeah, and and you know and. And they have to recognize that this is a fantasy in the same way, in the same way, really, the the Antifa, you know, 25 year olds who, you know, PhD students or whatever, who's, who, who, who are, whose parents are going to fund them forever. They have to recognize you're not living in reality. Your mm-hmm. politics cannot work in the real world. Um, they will not produce what you want them to produce. And it's so easy for them to be corrected. You know, it's so you can just look at a society that is highly traditional highly patriarchal like you can you can go to pakistan if you want take a look at what happens there. yeah really exactly yeah thank you good point yeah it's it's like so much cosplay going on yeah what's up with that that's internet life but it's but they're taking it out of the internet (laughs) we tell everybody to go out and touch the grass but like well not this way (laughs) yeah um i don't know if 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 people can tell the difference anymore um, and I think that especially younger people can't, it, it, for them, there isn't a difference um, in a in a very clear, meaningful sense, the way that it, there is for people who aren't digital natives. Wow. Also, uh, one thing I think about a lot, like the, the sort of Amy Coney Barrett style parenting, like it's always the conservative women who seem to be able to have a lot of kids and still have big careers. Yeah, Phyllis how? Schlafly was the you know patient zero of that I don't know and you know Sarah Palin it was always it's always this sort of um look look, I have all these kids and yet I'm still a girl boss and I'm killing it and I've got my my you know I I go on maternity leave for two weeks and now I'm back and I don't know what's wrong with all you people and all you have to do is put the baby in a bouncy thing and I'm going to sit at my desk and I could do a million things at once I mean Amy Amy Coney Barrett has seven kids um Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, was five. Oh no, I think, no, I think, well, we're going to fact check that maybe, but no, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. And at least, at least one of them is adopted. I think a couple of them, no, this is something that, that fascinates me because, you know, the sort of liberal mother, um, kind of persona is, you know, I'm a working mom. I'm juggling everything. I'm trying to do it all. I'm, I'm juggling, juggling. I can't, you know, I'm overwhelmed. I can't possibly do this. Um, you know, my husband doesn't help enough. You know, we, we see that that's like the sort of women's magazine paradigm we've been we've been seeing. We, we know mm-hmm. what that looks like. But then there's this, you know, there's this conservative version where I mean, Phyllis Schlafly, who, you know, famously, she was the one who took down the ERA. She had like a bunch of kids at home. Yeah. And she was on the road all the time. She had a massive career. And she was a lawyer. And it's like, it's, it's because she was wealthy and somebody else was taking care of the kids. And, and Amy Coney Bryant, like, you know, she's got little kids, sorry, Amy, Anita Bryant. I, that was a conflation of Anita Bryant and Amy, Amy. And I always, I often say Comey. It's not Comey. It's Coney, Amy Coney Barrett. ACB. ACB. Yeah. Why, how come that hasn't taken off ACB? Um, she's got, yeah, no, I mean, she's had a, had a big career. And so, so then what happens is, 
people say, well, hey, all you liberal women, why are you whining? Look at all these amazing women like killing it. Like, look at these incredible achievers. And they've got all the kids. And, you know, in her case, she is affiliated with this um, kind of Christian. It's some kind of like sect or um, community. I can't remember the name of it. People of Praise, I think it's called. And I think there's a lot of sort of communal kind of it takes a village style um, child care and you know looking after each other's kids which is kind of nice in a way like if this was somebody on the left that had this kind of situation if it was people Mm -hmm. of peace and and um there was this kind of commune structure option um i think we would be applauding that but because it's people of praise it's suspect anyway i I'm, i'm going on and on here but i just i there is this sort of like paradigm of the conservative woman who's got a bunch of kids and still has a huge job and it's often because the older kids are looking after the younger kids or there's somebody in the wings so let me let me give my theory here's my theory and it's just a theory but um this is why i think they can do it um and we've discussed this a little bit you and my privately um i think that conservative women well one they're surrounded by a family structure that's where everybody's focused on that one thing. Like everybody understands that you have a duty towards family and that, you know, um, older siblings, aunts, uncles, parents, whatever, everybody is going to pitch in and do the village thing. And I, I don't know if liberal families all feel the same way about it. Um, and, and so I think, I think that adds up to a couple of hours here and there mm. that probably helps a lot. Um, but, but I think there's, there's a little more to it too, in that I do liberal women, think in the same way when it comes to, you know, having it all. I think we, we, we struggle over these, like, you know, should I have a kid? Should I not have a, should I do this? Should I go over here? Should I explore, you know, Milan or whatever? You know, yeah, but, but, but ACB did not, you know, she, she had her life plan ahead of her and her, her religious, affiliation helped her you know draft that plan i mean there wasn't even much drafting really she just accepted it and and walked forward and i think that 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 when you when you look at your life in that way uh it turns out that there's a lot more that you can accomplish because you're just there's a lot less time that you're spending figuring it out quote unquote right and then uh, you know uh, I, I almost lost my train of thought what was i thinking hold on we're gonna have to cut this part out no, no, no. Let's think. I mean, so, so the liberal women are like just constantly. Oh, oh overwhelmed, yeah. So there was there was um, the discussion that 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 you and I had um, privately a little while ago about uh, you know you 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 have to think. Look, I can't have it all. There, I have to prioritize something and sacrifice something else. And I think liberal women are not willing to sacrifice uh, a social life number one <laughs> um and uh a broader sense of of self-fulfillment um that they get through experiences through travel through you know life affirmation um you know and i think all those are very meaningful things but you know it, the way i remember we us talking about it you were asking me how i do it you know how i i do it all because you have and, seven kids because right? i have seven kids yeah. um and i and i said that you know it, it it was a question of you know what I heard another woman say who was very she's very very um, uh, accomplished herself and she just told me that Sarah you just have to you you know you have to decide with your husband what's important um, and she and her husband decided 
they are going to prioritize work and they're going to prioritize family and they will have no friends. <laughs> Just, you know, mm-hmm. straight up, no friends, not some friends, not, <laughs> not even no, other you know, parent friends. Just no, just no friends. And she was just like, we, we don't have any friends and we won't have any friends until the children are up, you know, and, and going to school. And then maybe things are different. <laughs> that sounds but like until- a recipe for divorce. I'm sorry. So that, so to me, that's something a conservative can, can face and accept in a way that a liberal woman but conservatives won't. have friends it's not about it's not about friends <laughs> they have it's girlfriends about, they go with their girlfriends and it's about it's about just saying out. that family is so important that i'm going to sacrifice a lot and that that sacrifice is acceptable to me um you know maybe because of my religious well there's a nobility i yes there's a nobility in the acceptance where in the liberal paradigm it would be a weakness actually right it would be a surrender yes 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 yeah so i think that 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 element of sacrifice and what it means um and and yeah, I, I think that that has that's how I would maybe maybe articulate it as the approach to sacrifice um, yeah. as something only weak people have to do or as something strong women face and take on and accept. Right. So do, do you have no friends? Is that what you're saying? Um, I have you, Megan. Wow. So I've, I've that's pretty uh, sad. Is that, that's I, why we did this podcast. Is that I, why? Yeah, like, I wanted really my just one a, friend. An elaborate ruse to have one friend. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. Sacrifice. Yeah, you know what? Conservative it. women say they have to. They have to. You know, give something up, sacrifice something. It's going to be a podcast. They, look, you can either have a career, kids, marriage, podcast. You cannot have all four. There you mm. go. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, no, Amy Coney Barrett does have seven kids. I mean, she wasn't even 50 when she got the nomination for the court. Um, I actually wrote a piece about this. It, it's, I, you know, a lot of people said, well, she was, she was an academic, so she had a more, she had a, you know, a more flexible schedule. I mean, the other thing is so interesting about her. It's not like her husband was a stay at home dad. Like he's a partner in a law firm. Like th- this is a, this is a power couple. Yeah. Like I am interested in the, in the, in the power couple concept and, and what that even means now and, and how it could possibly work if there are kids involved, because somebody is always going to have to, to compromise and it's going to be the woman. I mean, you cannot socially engineer the, the burdens of motherhood out of a society. At least when they're young, very right. very young, yeah. Right. And 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 you can tell that ACB was definitely she she was one of those women who breastfed for for as long as she could, but not necessarily. Um, I mean, really, she had. I mean, it's like I don't know. I don't know how long she breastfed, but she's just incredible. Like, I mean, yeah. in, in if we didn't hate her politics, I'm mean, by we, I mean, you know, liberal mainstream media. But uh, if 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 her politics weren't so. Um, unappealing to people, she would just be this magnificent person. Not just not just an example of a woman that has achieved just remarkable feats. And you know, she looks good. Yeah, no, she's just amazing. What? Yeah, no. Look, she was born in 1972. Okay, so this is what fascinates me about her. So she's a Gen Xer, and she actually did follow the kind of middle class Gen X educated woman script. She did not. She didn't get married till she was twenty-seven. She'd finished law school by then. She'd clerked for DC 
Circuit, U.S. Court of Appeals for Scalia and for Scalia. I mean, she had big, big bona fides. So by the time her first kid was born, she was teaching law. And so I guess you're wow. right. So she, so yeah, but so she had, she or orchestrated this. So by the time her kids came along, she had kind of downshifted to being a law professor, but still mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot. It's incredible. You know, I just, again, I, I think this is maybe a topic for another time, but you know, the idea that you can have a huge career and have kids, people need to restructure that. I mean, I, when, when Kamala Harris, you know, when she was, you know, during the campaign and they really wanted to emphasize that even though she didn't have kids, she was a stepmom and her stepkids calls her mamala and she's really nurturing. And, you know, we don't want to, yeah. we don't want to put people off. And it's like, well, you know what, if yeah. you want women to be at these high, in these high positions, you're going to have to get used to the fact that a lot of them aren't going to have kids Yeah, <laughs> because it's pretty damn hard to yeah. have kids, especially a lot of them and, and achieve these, you know, Nancy Pelosi, I think has like four or five kids, but she didn't start her political career until they were grown. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I just think that people need to think about these things. And so, yeah, I mean, getting back to the abortion thing, I don't know. I don't know what, um, I don't know what these pro-life people are imagining when they think of this like wonderful world where all these babies are born and walking and around. wanted and, yeah. you know, and, and then they grow up healthy in these, you know, new homes. I mean, it's, it's even adoption. There's, there's, Ugh. uh, you know, <laughs> Don't get that, that in itself yeah right there's yeah. there's a, a complicated discussion that that can be had about you know the ethics of of adoption in general um and and how encouraging we should be as a society of getting kids away from their birth parents but there's you know to me it just feels like a very black and white discussion that is bound to change um when these kinds of you know extremists see the consequences of the policies that they that they wish on on everybody, including in in, in their own families, um, in their own extended networks, when they see uh, people that they know who are being impacted by this, um, yeah. and, and of course, maybe I'm being too a little too naive and, and optimistic about this, but I think that you know we it, it's so easy to to forget about the the difficulties of humanity when you don't see them personally unfortunately and sometimes we just need to see them personally yeah um to feel differently about it and maybe maybe that's what will make a difference here but how long do you think it's going to take like what do you imagine like years generation a gen- so we're going to have i mean we're going to have a generation of people who are yeah. going to have un- unwanted pregnancies and children yeah yeah i think we're i think it's going to be some time and, and i think pretty, that it, it, it's pretty grim it 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 is but hopefully the change is more lasting when it does happen um because you 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 know you have people i mean we pick up how we believe about these kinds of issues from our own environments and when we have an environment that 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 is indirectly uh uh you know pushing one one belief system or another even if we don't even if we don't notice it um we're going to be people who are more comfortable um, around an issue like abortion. And, you know, there's, I remember there was, um, on Twitter yesterday, there were a lot of people in hysterics over, you know, what the overturning of Roe means for loving, you know, or, or, or mm-hmm. Brown and, and, yeah, and, slippery slopes. yeah. And to me that felt pretty crazy, you know, like, um, I, I, like I, I thought, 
I, I definitely think that that it is the case that the kinds of people who don't want abortion also want to limit contraceptives um, because they see uh, sex um, before marriage as in itself a harmful thing um, and something that leads to a society that's that's you know immoral or, or dysfunctional in however many ways. But I think you know loving uh, you know I know a lot of conservatives and a ton yeah, let's of them actually are in because I know our audience is, is super smart. But for those can just to describe what is loving versus Virginia, just give us a little thumbnail sketch there. Yeah, it's the it's the I mean general sketch I guess. Um, it's uh, the the ruling that allowed interracial marriages. Um, Yes. And, uh, it, you know, and it, there's no way there's no way that's on the table. And I don't think that that's that's never that's Clarence never Thomas going to be is not going to touch that. Although given what how his wife is, uh, you know, he may t- be trying to distance himself from his wife, <laughs> given what's going on. So actually, mm, well, you know, keep an eye on that. <laughs> To, to me, I think you can say you can say that that loving's on the table if you don't actually know a lot of conservative, but it, because a lot of and maybe maybe this was just Texas, but I knew lots of conservative even evangelicals who were in interracial marriages, yeah. um, especially with Hispanics in Texas. It's a obviously it's a large population, like large minority population. Um, so there's plenty of 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 you know uh, uh, interracial relationships and and marriages, and I didn't see that as ever being anything that could potentially be up for debate. And and in my own personal life, I know more centrist or conservative people who are inter interracial yeah. married than I know than I don't know liberal ones. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, I know why that is with the younger crowd. Um, the younger crowd is very strange about interracial um, relationships, especially the woke crowd. They oh, you mean like of... they like they seek it out? It, there's a it's a status thing. It, it, well, now there's a pushback. Uh, you know, uh, there there's pressure f- from within like minority groups to stay within their own. Oh, because guess, you're culturally races. appropriating. If you right, like... right. And, And, you know, I mean, and interracial relationships can be so fraught. Um, You know, I have uh, lots of younger family members who I talk to all the time about these kinds of issues. And they relate to me all these harrowing stories about uh, the awkwardness of of interracial dating, um, which I didn't really experience, you know, back when I was on the market. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just sort of like a (laughs) on the market. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it was just like a thing that time. (laughs) Uh, I'm really glad it's. I'm do really you glad consider yourself? I mean, I don't know. I don't, even though we're best friends, I don't know that much about about you. So, about are you? Do you consider yourself in an interracial relationship? No, no, married. No. You don't. Okay. Which is yeah, which is uh, unexpected. I think from a, a lot of people would would find that surprising about me. Okay. Um. But but yeah. Right. My family broadly. Um. Many of them have. Uh, you know, are or want to be in, in, you know, long-term relationships with people who are partners who are not of the same racism. And um, the, the younger kids say all kinds of weird things to me about um, their experiences there where they'll, you know, like they'll date, um, especially when they date white people. I think that's when it's really, (laughs) that's when it's really strange because there'll be a lot of apologies that come forth that they feel creates a distance between you know uh between them um and Wait, people who are not white are apologizing yeah like my family you. members who are not okay. white no okay. my family members who are not white are getting apologies 
from their you know white partners or you know uh, boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever that 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 makes them feel strange about what's going on here um so they feel like there's a a interesting little strain in that relationship um that wasn't there before or i or i didn't feel that was there in my time god it's so sad they have made it so much they've created a racist dynamic yeah i mean yeah uh yeah and um you know i have um i have a family member who's younger she's um 10 years younger than me and she was saying that uh, that you know even her best friend uh, growing up, who is you know, this white girl, um, she's had to have like conversations with her about, hey, you know, you, you can just say what you think to me about, <laughs> you know, like the, the George Floyd protests or what you can you can be just honest with me. You don't have to because she noticed that her friend was kind of it felt like walking on eggshells a little bit when it came to certain topics you felt that her friend suddenly uh you know uh showed that she you know was trying to say the nice thing um and be very cognizant of of what my family member thought and she had to clear you know she had to clear the air and say no you can just be you can just be honest we're friends and you can just tell me what you think and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna call you a racist um you know yeah. for for every little thing which Did she is know the thing of your work I, when that happens i feel like saying you know do you, you know do nothing you know my sister my work? <laughs> do you... <laughs> yeah. yeah um wow yeah I, I don't know how great it is that that i'm i'm their their family especially now with the gender stuff now that i'm touching into that i i tell everybody don't tell don't tell them that you're related to me i don't know how oh how young people are gonna take it <laughs> well it's a good way to uh you know, it's a good way to know who your friends are. Just, you know, keep your, keep, keep, keep your uh, social circle the, the, the way you want. Although in your case, you don't have any friends. So it doesn't matter. Right. Well, Actually, you, you should Megan. be as horrible as possible. You should just keep saying though, is this, is this why I know Sarah that you, because of your motherhood commitments, you have decided to just start speaking about the most heretical things in order to prevent yourself from having any friends. So this is actually passive aggressive this way. You don't have to make friends or keep them because they nobody wants to be friends with you exactly so you don't have that to feel, is, you don't have to feel bad about it you put it better than than i could have yeah really incredible i feel like we i mean this is why we're best friends yeah. this is why i do have one friend and I it's know. you i know you better than you know yourself and um yeah we've been we, we've you know we've, we've been together for like uh, you know less Two than a week, now, a week a week <laughs> i know it's this is like um we are uh, friends friends till the end ride or die friends i i just i'm i so so out of it i just learned that expression a few weeks ago from jamie kilstein when he came on my podcast ride or die i'd never heard that really no i'm super out of it um wait i asked i have a question for you regarding loving is that the reason that the virginia license plates say virginia is for lovers i don't know gosh that would be interesting no i don't i don't know i always wondered about that um, maybe I'm Why? sure I mean, that somebody weird... listening will tell us. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird kind of a slogan. It's, it's a, a weird, weird slogan, especially for Virginia. I mean, yeah, I know Virginia it's that... sort of like saying like my lover. So it's like <laughs> Virginia is for committed partners. <laughs> um. Okay. So have we covered the schmushmortion topic? 
Yeah, I thoroughly? think we have. Is there and anything else? It's been a while, like right? Have we been? Oh yeah, but you know, we we got we're, yeah, we're we're an hour, we're an hour and, and ten into it. Yeah, we should we should wrap it up. Is there anything? Um, but should we cover anything else? I did want to, I did want to vent a little bit. Um, or actually, I, I wanted to process a little bit about a, a a tweet that I just made last night. Actually, I think this is the most viral tweet I've ever done. Have you had like have you been dragged on Twitter? I feel like you're so disciplined. I am I mean, I don't feel like I am, but I've been dragged all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I'm not getting dragged actually. So it's okay. So I had I I am very restrained on Twitter. Like I if people only knew the things that I think of tweeting and I don't do it. I I never I like I would say one out of twenty times do I actually tweet the thing I'm thinking. And so you know, then like the last couple of days, I, with, you know, with the abortion thing, I was thinking like, oh, isn't it, you know, like if Gloria Steinem had said, if men could get pregnant, then abortion would be a, a sacrament. That was her original line. And then Veep, I, you know, was on Veep. The joke was if men could get pregnant, you could get an abortion at an ATM. You know, th- this this is a mm-hmm. trope. Right. So I was thinking, well, now men can get pregnant uh, and uh, they still uh, overruled. They they still overturned Roe v. Wade. So that didn't pan out. So anyway, so my joke was that that was my joke. And so I took the the Gloria Steinem quote and I took a screenshot of it and I put it up and, and then I wrote, apparently not. Okay. <laughs> and I I kind of just, I felt like this was a good joke and I felt like if I didn't say, somebody else would say it, like it was definitely like I thought of it. And so I was like, I'm going to get ahead. I'm going to say this before someone else steals it. And it's a good joke because it actually works on, I'm explaining. It's so good that I have to explain it to you. It works on a lot of levels um, because it's kind of like, it's very pro-choice joke. um, But it's also, um, you know, it's, it's, it's it's suggesting that perhaps um, the left you know, places like Planned Parenthood could have spent a little less time uh, obsessing about gender ideology and more time, uh, you know, advocating mm-hmm. for for abortion rights. Now, that is a that is a flimsy argument. I think that that's like a little that's like low hanging fruit. I wouldn't I wouldn't really I think that you could you can say that, but that is certainly not the whole story. That is not the reason that Roe was overturned has nothing to do with gender ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so that was my joke. So so in the beginning, it was great. People were people that followed me were like, yeah, great, great joke, you know, boom. And then it just got more and more. And, and, you know, then there was like some people who didn't get it. People were like, but wait, but what, but now that men can get pregnant, what are you saying? I don't understand. So there was that. And then the right wingers um, got a hold of it. And so now it's like, I mean, last time we checked there, I mean, there were like more than 4,000. Like for me, that's a lot. Like I'm not a huge, I don't, I'm not a huge account. So this was like, there are thousands of, you know, there's a and lot, a lot of retweets. crazy when you're, when it happens. But I feel like I'm not getting dragged though. The thing is, but I feel weird about it because it's the kind of thing that if I did more often, like I would have more followers and like I would, my podcast would probably have more listeners. Like I could go around all day doing that kind of thing because I do have these thoughts and I and I could tweet them and I would probably be more successful as a podcaster but I don't do it because I really want to take the high road like that's just where, where I've decided to be on the, mm. high, the high road to nowhere mm, uh, yeah. as I've said right. so I don't know like I don't I I feel really torn about it mm. yeah well I always encourage people taking the high road where's that I feel like I got this from 
some show where it was you know i always encourage people to take to take the high road so that there's more room for me on the low road oh no you're definitely on the high road you're very you're a high road gal uh yeah well i i used to be a lot better actually i've gotten more i guess impatient and more snarky but there was a period i think when i first started on twitter and i was younger and fresher and more you know optimistic about things that I I, I made it you know a, a, I mean I was seriously committed to getting on to this platform and being my very best self and modeling you know the best behavior and then it was just it, at some point I started to feel like that was you know I, I, I was behaving like a nun and it it it, it, it <laughs> not it also- litter is huge <laughs> Well, well, and it also it was interesting because I had these rules um, that I, I I publicly like declared this is what I'm going to do, and I did it for a whole year where I was just like no snark ever, you know, no liking snark, no retweeting snark, no 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 saying n- none period, you know, and and sharing more positive stuff than negative stuff, and you know more like no dunking that kind of thing. And I, I, I had these rules and a bunch of people liked them and, and, you know, tried to follow me and stuff or, or just say, well, you know, like I commend you, blah, blah, blah. I, I did it for a year. And, you know, by, what I felt by the end of it was that, um, well, it was hard. Duh. Um, it did make my timeline better to just not engage with snarky people. And I find that I just like unfollowed them and it made my timeline better. But, you know, humor really is a shield. And when it, Thousands of people are coming at you all the time um, in the most insane ways, you know, sometimes sometimes just merely uncharitable and other times like truly unhinged and just dragging your character all the time to then approach each and every one of them as 100% sincere all the time. The the emotional experience of that was that I felt vulnerable and Mm -hmm. I felt that my charity to others was not being you know you know what I was giving out to the world was not coming back of course it couldn't right because these people didn't know how I engage it was just random people that would just sort of do a drive-by shooting tweet kind of you know that yeah uh and and but I found that emotionally it made me feel very vulnerable and less likely to engage because I couldn't you know just put up my humor shields when when someone was being really egregious, mm-hmm. um, I just I had committed myself to just sincere, sincere, sincere engagement. So I, 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 you know, I don't really, I'm not really that severe about it anymore, and I'm I'm much more snarky than I was in the past. So yeah, um, but I I think your tweet was good, and I wouldn't mind if you did more of them. Um, I do agree that there was um, you know, a lot of like turf type accounts where where yeah tweeting similar things and it did feel to me that you know it's sort of beside the point a little bit i mean but but i totally get where they're coming from in the sense that they feel that well here's this avenue of women's rights that's being entirely neglected and if anything like they're they're you know going about it in the opposite way um and and then when it comes to roe it's about where the people of where the champions of women's rights so i get where they feel that there's a hypocrisy and uh you know and it's not and i i think they're 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 right to point it out but in that specific case of roe you're right i mean it do, it doesn't actually have anything to do with it no um, and it's easy to dunk on gloria steinem and it's just yeah it's 
but you know, it's funny. I also had a lot of people saying, oh, well, you know, here's another person that's just jumping on the, on the unwoke bandwagon and, you know, another, another centrist. And it's like, well, somebody, somebody literally said, oh, you're just, you know, following Bill Maher and Walter Kern. And and I was just, I'm like, you know what? I've been doing this since the nineties. Okay. Like I, oh yeah. They said, you've made the transition to, I, I think that word was not, no, that pun intended, but like, you know, you, you have transitioned to like unwoke, uh, blowhard or something like that. And I just feel like, no, I didn't need to transition. I've always been doing this. Like my entire career has been pointing out the contradictions on both sides in every corner, pointing out the hypocrisies. That's why I got into this business. That's what you were supposed to do. And it's like, nothing has changed. I'm still, I'm doing exactly what I've been doing for 25 years. And I'm getting a little annoyed that it's a lot of people just seem to think that like we're doing this for the money or something. Where's the money? I know. <laughs> Intense. I, but it's like, I, this isn't just something like to do because now it's cool. It's like saying, Oh, suddenly all these people became woke because it was cool. Well, maybe some people did, but a lot of people had been having those thoughts like for a long time, you know, mm-hmm. that's like mm-hmm. Noam Chomsky. He's just woke now because you know, he's that's, it's the cool thing to do. You know, not, he's obviously much more complicated than that, but I don't know. I just, it's like people have absolutely no sense of history. Like it doesn't occur to anybody that with somebody, somebody on Twitter, like had, had, you know, many decades of thoughts before there was Twitter. No, they don't. Of course not. They don't, they're never going to look at you that way. I mean, that's why you just got to ignore it. (laughs) You can ignore most of it. I just block and move on now. I've become very good about just, um, I, 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 that's another thing I used to not block. Because I felt it was very I, important I don't to just engage. You know, well, I don't. It gives them too much yourself. satisfaction. I feel Does like it? I feel like blocking somebody is acknowledging their existence. So I never block anybody. Mm-hmm. I mute. You can mute. Yeah, you can mute, but then they harass your followers. Oh, I don't care about that. Yeah, yeah. My well, followers I, I, are strong. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. I. I just. I started blocking more. I mean, I still would say that I'm a very light blocker. Like I still don't, it takes me a while to get to the point of blocking, but I block not for disagreement. I block if you're being an asshole to me, if you're, if you're, if you're being mean, you know, if you're calling me names, well, I'm not going to engage with you anymore. I don't care if I agree with your argument or don't, none of that matters to me because you've evoked a style of, of discourse that you know, because I'm a human being will evoke emotions in me that, you know, it's going to, it's going to make it harder for me to think straight. It's going to make harder for you to think straight. So there, there's no, you know, even if there was something we could learn from each other, we're not going to, because now you've called me, you know, whatever it is that you've called me. Um, (laughs) So what's the worst thing anybody's called you that you can say on the air? So, well, I think everybody would accept the worst things that anyone has called me has been, usually it's like, very you know islamist types that that uh will call you a whore or whatever um mm. and that, that's pretty common actually that 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 happens to me less often now that i've sort of walked away from that kind of activism and now i'm 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 talking about woke stuff um now it's it's more common that they'll call me a sellout in various ways or you know i'm i'm spiraling and becoming something or other oh um, you're spiraling like you're having just, a like a meltdown like like <laughs> yeah. you need it yes it's you're, no and, you thought know, in I, this whatsoever i don't 
sweet man. So I don't know where, you know, people will be like, you sound like somebody said that to me. I was tweeting a lot about the abortion stuff and people were like, you sound irate. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm like, I'm having a good time. Yeah, that's, you know, a, that, there's, that's a, there's a high bar for sounding irate on Twitter about yeah, abortion, please. I Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I was just, I, I, it's hard to tell tone on the internet. I'm, I'm almost never mad. And if I am mad, I'm not tweeting. Huh. Um, that's very healthy. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, I, you should you should have like a like a self help module where you where you your mental health tips. Um, okay, well, is there anything uh, we should wrap it up? Is there anything we want to promote about our other projects while we have people here? Yeah, I'm just going to share my my. I have if you follow me on my Substack, you should. If you ha- aren't already, it's called um, Hold That Thought. I'm going to published my little post on on uh the effect of this recent overturn of of roe v wade um it's just gonna be a small post and then i have a longer piece um that i think the listeners of this podcast will find really interesting about the cultural uh, you know the, the the effect cultural has on on transition and on gender ideology i think people will like that piece so that will be probably released sometime early this week. And I have, I have no idea when we're going to release this podcast. So it might be around the time that this podcast comes out. Okay. Okay. And let's see. I, um, my other podcast, The Unspeakable, is, uh, you know, still still going on. And um, I actually have a two-parter uh, the, the next two weeks. I don't think I've ever done this before. It's a conversation about guns. I was really on top of things. I'm trying. I'm trying to be topical. I was super topical. I had a gun thing, and now this happened. Now, now, I, now it feels stale, but it's not. Um, it's actually a conversation between two people who have very different opposing uh, views about about guns, and it's great. Um, it's really, uh, I learned a lot in it, and uh, they're they're Melanie Jeffcoat and John Godfrey. They're not celebrities or anything, but they're people who um, have a lot to say. So I hope. People will listen to that and just, you know, to avoid any confusion. Okay. This podcast is on Substack. Your writing is on Substack. I do have a Substack account for the unspeakable, which I opened and I'm going to be writing stuff on it. But for now, uh, the unspeakable monetization portion remains on Patreon. I know this is confusing, but if you, if you are a Patreon supporter, please stay there. Um, because it has just made more sense to stay on Patreon for the moment. But you, this podcast, uh, you will get free, obviously. Um, so there's that. And um, yeah, just really quickly too, I'm my my heterodox women's community, the Unspeakeasy, is something I'm still working on. And uh, Sarah, I'm gonna you know probably rope you into that, but uh, we're gonna hear more about that later. But if you are interested in that uh, project, you can go to the Unspeakeasy dot com uh and we'll just we can leave it there for now little mystery all right do we cover everything yep we got it okay well thank you everybody for listening thank you for your comments (laughs) please feel free thank you for some of your comments 